Hello, and welcome to the Gospel Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you all so much for being here. I, uh, I look out here in the middle, and I, before church I was joking. I, some of you all have been to uh, basketball games where they have the eruption zone, right? That's where everybody's cheering and freaking out and stuff during the middle of the game. This right here is the conviction zone. It's empty. And so uh, we'll just uh, we'll run with it. So y'all be careful back here, okay? All right. So it is so good to be with you all this morning. I, um, this is my fifth Easter with you all, and, um, and I'm excited to be preaching it. I'm always excited to be uh, preaching the Easter service. When I was going through ministry and I was thinking about the possibility of me one day pastoring a church and preaching, it always came down to that Easter, Easter Sunday morning uh, that no pastor ever wants to give up the pulpit on Easter Sunday. And uh, because there were times where I would be gifted with the opportunity of preaching, but I knew that if there was an Easter service, I would not be preaching that one because no pastor wants to, be able, wants to skip that Easter morning because the message is so glorious. Folks, today is Easter Sunday, and I am glad that you are here. Now, whether it's the first time, and I don't think that we have any first-time folks, but whether it's the first time here, or you're returning after a while of being away, or you're here every Sunday, I'm glad you're here. What you may not realize, and it may not feel this way, is that you being here is not by chance. It may have felt like you had planned to come on this Easter morning, that you had been making plans, and that you got your Easter outfit. See, I got mine. It's like 10 years old. All right, I can still wear it, thank goodness. All right, but you, you made plans, right? I know that the little ones were all, the, the little girls got all their new Easter dresses purchased and all that stuff, the bows and the hair. The young men are wearing their Argyle socks. And st- not my son, but you know some are. So we threatened to make him wear Argyle socks, and he, cho- he threatened to run away. But you all have planned to be here, all right? Planned to be here. But the truth is, you're here by God's providence. You are here because God ordained it before the foundations of the earth. Now, am I making too much out of this? Am I making too much out of the fact? Am I, am I, am I, isn't it just that, no, we just got up and we came to church this morning. Isn't that what happened? Well, you did get up and you did go to church this morning. You did choose to come. But I want you to know that you are here by God's providence. You are here because God has allowed, more importantly, He has appointed you all to be here this morning in church. And I would even say this about any church in this community, that the congregations that are attending church this morning have been appointed to be there by God's providence. This is no accident. It is never an accident. And I will even tell you this, that everything that happens in your life is in the providence of God. The good and the bad. It's all God's providence. You are in the palm of His hands because He ordains all things. Now, 
I'm going to take, I told a couple folks that this morning is going to be a little bit of a different Easter service. So I would, I would love, love for you to just focus in with me for the next 30 minutes. All right, just kind of tune in here because I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. How many of you all know, just by show of hands, you know, fear not, you can raise your hands, we're Baptists, it's okay. Fear not, raise your hands if you know that today, that Easter Sunday is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Just raise your hands high, that that's why we come together on Easter. You all know that, right? Okay, very good, you all know that. You know what that means? That means that I don't have to go into detail about that. You know that. Now, we're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection, but we're going to talk about it in a little bit of a different perspective. We're actually starting this morning a sermon series in 1 John. And the sermon series is entitled, That You May Know. And this morning's sermon is entitled, Risen and Assured. So just walk with me for a little bit this morning. Don't tune me out, okay? Don't get to be thinking about your ham and your potatoes after church or the fried chicken that you probably aren't going to eat because you didn't order it soon enough, Mom. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Anyway, okay, so just tune in, okay? Tune in. I did some math last night while lying in bed. So I, my, my wife and I, we went to bed, and I couldn't sleep. And so I, as often that happens with me, I have a hard time sleeping sometimes because the wheels are always turning. So I just kind of laid there on my back and started thinking about this morning's service. And one of the things that crossed my mind was this, is that this is the 26th straight year that I have attended a worship service on Easter Sunday. Uh, since I was 16, I have not missed, I'm 42, I think my math is right, I've not missed an Easter Sunday morning. Even when I was in college and we were on road trips in baseball, me and a couple other brothers on the team found a church to go worship at at sunrise while we were traveling. So this is the 26th straight, and it might even be more than that. I just can't uh, go back that far. I've usually attended more than one each year. Sunrise services, morning services, evening services, all that sort of stuff. And so this is 26 years in a row. I haven't missed an Easter service and the honest truth is I haven't missed many services since I was 16. I've been here. And in all this time, last night was the first time that I really bore down and asked this question. While not being able to sleep in my bed, I asked this question. Do I really believe in the resurrection? Now that might surprise you. Because believing in the resurrection is part and parcel to being a Christian. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not a Christian. So how is this pastor of 20 years saying this is the first time he's asked that question? Well, not really. I believed in the resurrection. But last night, I thought to myself, it is a really good idea just to kind of test myself, to survey myself and where my heart is. So lying in bed, I said, Chris, do you really believe in the resurrection? Or do I still believe in the resurrection? Now here's the thing. It did not take long. But as I was sitting there thinking about what Christ accomplished on the cross, here's what I came to. Is that I am as sure or more sure that Christ rose 
from the dead on that third day than I am sure of anything in my life. Of anything. I mean, I really thought about it last night. Am I really certain in my heart, in my mind, in the deepest part of me that Christ rose from the dead? And I got such a peace in my spirit last night that I fell asleep. I was so happy. I wasn't surprised, honestly. I wasn't surprised that I still believed in the resurrection. I was surprised at how much just peace just filled my heart. When by God's grace... He just confirmed that faith that He gifted in me so long ago. Because here's the deal. You cannot believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ unless God gives you the faith to believe. You don't make that up, folks. I've been to school. I've been to lots of school. I've taken lots of science classes. Nobody, very few science guys believe that once somebody is dead after three days, they're going to be risen to life. This isn't sci-fi. This is real life. But that is what happened with Jesus Christ. He walked the road to Calvary, bearing the cross that was going to bear our sin and our shame. He walked up that hill. They hung him on that tree. He died, and then three days later, after the burial, he rose again. It is real. I am as sure in the historicity of the resurrection as I am, as I, as I am sure that I stand physically before you today. I recalled passages of Scripture, hymns, doctrinal discussions, and for me, the resurrection is not a myth. It is not a fairy tale. It is not the Easter bunny, folks. The kids aren't in here right now, okay? The resurrection is not the Easter bunny. The resurrection is not Santa Claus. The resurrection is real. But not everyone believes in the resurrection. Even Thomas struggled when he saw what seemed to be the resurrected Jesus. He struggled. And Paul has some powerful words for us regarding the resurrection. I want you to follow with me as we read 2 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3 through 8. Now, this is not our main passage today, but I just want you to listen to me. I know the words are small. Just listen to me. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to me, uh, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Folks, I want you to hear this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Folks, that's the gospel. If anybody ever asks you, where is the gospel in Scripture? Point them to that right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. But not everyone believed in the resurrection. Not everyone believed. 
any resurrection, including Christ. And Paul answers this critique in following verses, in verses 12 through 14. Listen to what Paul says about the resurrection. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? There were individuals that believed there was no resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you do not believe in the resurrection, then why are you here? This is a waste of your time. It just is. It's a waste of your time if you don't believe in the resurrection. This message that I'm preaching to you right now is in vain if you don't believe in the resurrection. Because if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is false. And what that also means is that you and I are still condemned. You and I will remain dead. If Christ is not raised, you are not raised. If Christ is not raised, all those loved ones that we look forward to seeing one day are not raised either. If the resurrection does not happen, Christianity is dead. If you were coming this morning for a really happy, happy sermon, this is not it. At least not right now. Because I think I just need to be real with you. Is that okay if I do that? I think it's, it's, it's past time that we stop hearing a bunch of fluffy sermons and we're just very real with this, okay? If you don't really believe in the resurrection, then you don't really need to be here. And believing in the resurrection requires faith. Faith that only can be given by God. Easter is not just a holiday that we acknowledge once per year and celebrate through eggs and chocolate and baked ham. It's commemoration of the truth that we have assurance in our own resurrection to life because Christ himself was raised. Our Savior crushed death with his own. Now, what I want to ask you is, do you believe that? All right? Do you believe that? These are, these are rhetorical. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want, I'm going to be asking you some questions this morning. Do you believe, number one, that you are a sinner? Number two, do you believe that Christ was the only possible atoning sacrifice for that sin? That when he died and he was raised on the third day, that he crushed death with his own death. He trampled death by death, as the song says. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ is not currently a collection of bones in some tomb, but in fact He is risen and reigning at the right hand of God? Have you repented of your sins and follow Christ as Savior and Lord? Or can I ask this, are you saved? Are you saved this morning? Just keep that in the back of your mind. This entire sermon series that we're going to be walking through for the next two months is to help you all and myself see whether or not we are truly saved or not. Some of you will say with great confidence, yes, that I am saved. Some of you all may very well say, yes, I am saved, 
with great false confidence. Some of you may say, no, I'm not saved. Some of you will say, I've been saved so long, I can't remember not being saved. I know that. I understand that. I don't remember. I just, I've, I've been in the church and been saved so long, I just don't remember it. But likely, many of us in here will have difficulty giving a reason for our assurance. We'll say, yes, I'm saved, but in the end, we can't, we can't nail down a reason why we believe we're saved. Now, let's just face it. Every one of us in here have probably struggled with doubt in their own salvation. It's just true. Some of you all might be struggling with it right now. And I think Easter morning is a perfect time to deal with doubt. Because a lot of people doubted the resurrection of Christ. Here are some reasons that people give for being assured. I've put them in a list. I've said the sinner's prayer more than once. I say it weekly just to make sure it took. I've been baptized. I've lived a good life. I always attend church. I attend church every Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day. Those are the reasons that people give for why they are saved. But are these reasons to trust your salvation? Is it even possible to be assured of your salvation? And here's the answer. Yes, it absolutely is. It is absolutely possible for you to be sure of your salvation, but not because of that list that I just shared. Not because of a prayer, not because of baptism, not because of church attendance, not because of good works, none of them. None of those are guaranteed reasons for you to be assured of your salvation. If you go and somebody asks you, if, if you have been saved and you say, yes, I've said the sinner's prayer and I've been baptized, folks, that does not mean you're saved. In the past five years, I cannot count the number of people, prominent individuals in the church, who not only said the sinner's prayer, were not only baptized, but actually led congregations, wrote Christian books, and they are now basically saying we are no longer Christians anymore. But if the sinner's prayer and baptism and good works causes us to be saved, well, they should still be saved. But they're saying they're not. These are good things that I just listed, but they are not the proof in the pudding. My answer is yes, though, you can be assured. You you can be as sure of your salvation as you are sure of anything. Every one of those bullet points may be true of you and I, and we may still stand condemned. It's just true. Every one of those bullet points, you, you might fit every one of them, and you still may be going to hell. Over the next few weeks, starting today, we're going to be looking at 1 John, which does many things, but one of the most important things is it provides the tests that we might apply to ourselves to determine if we truly believe or if we're simply actors in our own little self-centered play. Or hypocrites, you might say. And our opening passage of 1 John ties perfectly with our celebration of Easter. Now, what I want to do now is I want to transition over to 1 John. I want to look at the first three verses. Now, here's the thing. 
I'm not going to leave you hanging this morning. Boy, that'd be cruel. That'd be cruel if I left you hanging this morning about the assurance of salvation. But I'm not going to tell you the whole story because like a good sequel, you got to leave them coming back for more, right? If I tell you everything, y'all just going to not come back next week. I need you to come back for the next eight weeks, okay? And then you'll figure out the whole picture. So let's look briefly at 1 John. And the first thing we're going to look at is the witness. 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 the Apostle John is testifying to the fact that he was an eyewitness to the person of Christ. I want you to imagine John, the Apostle John, writing this as if he is a witness on the stand during a, in a courtroom, and he is testifying to the existence and the work of Christ. That's what John is doing, okay? Who, he, who Christ really was, that he was really God, that he was truly man, and that there is proof of those who believe. So let's see what he says. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life that was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Jesus Christ. Now, not everyone in John's day believed that Jesus was fully man. Not everyone believed that. Some of them thought that Jesus was just a spirit. That's what they believed, that Jesus was just a spirit. He looked like a man, but he wasn't really fully man. And that is critical to the gospel. Some people say that he was just there. But here's the deal. Like many today, not everyone trusted their salvation then either. There were people that struggled with their salvation right then and there during that time. So how can you identify whether you or others are actually followers of Jesus? So that's what John is asking in this letter. So he's addressing this very question that many of us raise. So this is how he begins. He says this. He says, we heard him preach repentance. We saw him serve the outcast." We embraced him in our arms. How do we know that Jesus is real? Because we were there. We're eyewitnesses. We heard him. We saw him. We felt him. How many times did the beloved disciple, who is John, go up and embrace Jesus as his brother, as his Savior? Probably often. How many times did they greet one another with a holy kiss? Because that was completely appropriate during that age. Probably often. Like in his opening paragraphs of the gospel, John begins with saying what was from the beginning. What does he mean by that? When it says what was from the beginning, he's saying that Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created like an angel or like us. That Jesus has always existed. There has never been a moment in history when Jesus did not exist. He is co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He is. That is our Jesus. But at the same time, Jesus was born in the flesh. So Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. Don't work out the math. It just doesn't work. It's not algebra 2. It's not calculus, okay? But here's the point. Without Christmas, there is no Easter. And without Easter, there is no point. 
Without Christmas, there is no Easter. Without Easter, there is no point. He wants his audience to know that the main subject, the protagonist of this story, or the player in this testimony, is not just an idea, that Jesus is just a character in a great story. No, he was flesh and blood. Jesus is not the great Gatsby, all right? He is not... Uh, He's not Frodo. He's not some sort of imaginary tale. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. That is who we are worshiping. But what is even more is that John and the other disciples didn't simply witness Jesus before his death. They witnessed him after he rose. He's giving eyewitness to this. John and the others, they spoke with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They embraced Jesus. And they touched His nail-scarred hands. Let me just ask you this. How many people would be willing to give their life in such a horrible way that Christians were killed and martyred in the first century for a Jesus that is a figment of their imagination? They'd be crazy to do that. But they believed. They believed that this Christ was who He said He was. Why? Because they saw it. They saw it. They witnessed it for themselves. They had great assurance. How assured must John have been of his own salvation? Well, John was as sure of his salvation as he was of the resurrection of the Christ. So John begins this testimony in this way because the only way that we can truly be sure of our salvation is if we are sure of who Jesus is and what He has accomplished. If Jesus did not come in the flesh, then there was not an effective sacrifice for our sins. And if Jesus did not rise from the grave, uh, rise from the grave then death still reigns. That's just the truth. And so Christ wasn't the only thing that rose on that third day. So did hope. Hope. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope. So I'm going to ask you again, do you know that you are saved? Are you sure of it? Let's go to the second point, the message. John talks about a message. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So what did John see and what did he hear? These are the crucial questions that we need to ask because he seems to apply that these things are necessary for having fellowship with God. That this message that he's declaring, that in order for us to have fellowship with God or to be saved, then we need to believe the message that he is declaring. Now, I could spend weeks and months and a lifetime going over all that John is implying of what Jesus said, but I'm going to boil it down into two points. This is what John means, that he saw the good news in the life of Jesus and he heard the good news in the words of Jesus. That's what it is. All right? That he saw it and he heard it. That he was a witness to the gospel in action. Now, I've already shared the gospel with you this morning, but I'm going to share it again kind of in a nutshell. Here's the gospel. If you ever want to know just a brief list, it's this. Number one, we are all dead in our sin apart from Christ. That's just true. God created all things good. We're the ones that messed it up, okay? So every one of us are dead in our trespasses. There is not one of us, there is not one individual who has ever walked the face of this earth minus Christ who is innocent of sin. Everyone is guilty. 
Number two, the sinless Christ died on the cross to atone for those sins. It took a holy God and fully man individual to pay for the sins of man. That's what it took, and that was Christ. He is the only one. He is the only one. If it wasn't for Christ, you know what we'd still be doing? If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd still be sacrificing goats and sheep and rams every Sunday morning. That's what we'd be doing. We would come into here, we'd sing some songs, we'd recite some scripture, and then Christy would roll out the holy goat, all right, and slaughter it right here. We'd probably have to build something, all right? We'd ask Jerry to, all right? And we'd slaughter a goat right there, and we'd take a paintbrush and whoosh, sprinkle it on people, woo, like that. That's what we'd be doing. The reason we're not doing that is because Christ was the final sacrifice. Christ was the final sacrifice. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Christ, number three, was raised on the third day as he defeated death. Why is the resurrection important? Because if the resurrection doesn't happen, then Christ goes down in history as just another fraud. That's Jesus, a fraud, if he doesn't rise on the third day, but he does. He does. And fourthly, Christ then calls us to repent and believe in the good news. So some of you all might say, I believe that I'm good with all of that. I'm good. I believe that we're all sinners. I believe that Christ died on the cross. I believe he rose again. And I will say, good for you, so does the devil. The devil believes everything that I just told you. He knows who Christ was. The devil knows who Jesus was better than you know who Jesus was. The devil's not stupid. The devil knows the Bible better than you all do too, and me. So when sometimes we just say those things, that we, we know those things or we believe those things, kudos to you, so does the devil. But the devil's not saved. Most of us are good with all of that until we get to the word repent because we mistake repent for the sinner's prayer. I'm just being honest with you. When somebody says, have you repented? We say yes because we look at repentance as the same thing as the sinner's prayer. Folks, it is not. The sinner's prayer and repentance are not the same thing. Sometimes we think repentance is confession. Repentance is not confession. It's not. They are not the same thing. Repentance is first only made possible by Christ. Second, repentance is a physical turning from sin and turning to Christ. We're turning from our sin to Christ. Now, some of us will still say we're good. We've done that. I've confessed my sins and I've repented from, our, from my sin. I've turned from my sin. And I've turned to Christ. But here's my next question. Are you daily turning to Christ? Or did you just do that when the preacher asked if you wanted to be saved so then you could be then baptized, but then after that, you stopped turning to Christ, you just started living your life? Does your life look any different than your neighbor who's not in church on Easter morning? They slept in. Or something else. Does your life look different than theirs? Are you daily repenting? Are you daily turning for... Folks, I'm going to be honest with you, 
okay? I've been in the ministry 20 years, and I give absolutely no credence to the fact that I repented for the first time, that that was good for me for the rest of my life. Folks, because I know how sin is in my life, I have to daily kill sin. It is a daily thing. It is a waking up in the morning and saying, I am going to choose to follow Christ today. And when I don't, I repent again. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is not getting baptized, saying the sinner's prayer, getting baptized, and all of a sudden it's all uphill now. That's not the Christian life. You all know this. If you've lived in the Christian life for any length of time, you know that there is a struggle. There is a struggle with sin. There is a struggle with brokenness. There is a struggle with all these things. It is a daily call to repentance, is it not? That's what the Christian life is. But some believers put so much stock into a magic prayer and a magic baptism that we might as well get the magic beans because they'll do just as good. Many will initially turn to Christ, but then pretty quickly will turn right back again choosing to pursue their favorite sins. And this is why Paul calls us, calls us regularly to pers- persevere in the faith. So my question this morning is, are you willing to turn from your sin and believe in the good news of Jesus? That's the first thing. Are you willing to do that? And number two, are you willing to make Him Lord of your life instead of yourself? See, that's the sticky one. I'm willing to believe in Jesus, but I'm really not willing to make Him Lord of my life. I still want to do my own thing. Folks, that doesn't work. You can't serve two masters, one being yourself. Christ is Lord. Or I might ask of those of you who would check Christian in a box on a survey, can you say that you have been truly following Christ or have you been relying on a magic prayer or a magic baptism or good works to save you? That's the question. Now, you may be thinking that I have a real distaste for the baptism, or for the sinner's prayer. I don't. I don't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through that here in a second as we close. I don't have a distaste for that at all. What I do have a distaste for are people relying on that for salvation instead of relying on Christ. People relying on a prayer and a dunk under the water and then living like a demon for the rest of their life. But looking back 20 years saying, look at me, I'm saved. Folks, that's not the Christian life. That's not the mark of a believer. But I do want to finish with something happy. Because I realize this has been a rough Easter morning. I want to talk about the joy. Let's, can we finish with that? John says in verse 4, We are writing these things so that, you, so that our joy may be complete. You might be thinking that I'm being very harsh in critiquing your salvation. It is possible that you are partial to a former teacher or a former pastor that taught you about the sinner's prayer and baptism and and this sermon is ruffling your feathers because this guy seems to be preaching a sermon that's undermining everything that that other guy said. Whatever church you belong to. So let me be clear. There is a place for the sinner's prayer. I've used it and I still use it. 
and it's, but it's not to convince people that they are saved. That's not why I use the sinner's prayer. There is a place for baptism. I celebrate believers' baptism. That's why I call myself a Baptist. But I don't apply it to convince people or give final assurance to people for salvation. When somebody asks me or tells me that they are a Christian, I don't first ask, well, when were you baptized? I don't do that. Because I know that baptism is not necessarily a mark of a Christian. And if we're being honest, you all do too. You all know individuals who have gone through this, walked the aisle, been baptized, said a prayer. But you can't tell the difference between them and your atheist neighbor. You all know I'm being right here, being real. We just don't like to talk about it. And what's really bad is that some of us know that that's who we are. And I do encourage good works, but good works will not save you. They just won't. So what truly saves? Well, here's what truly saves. True belief and true repentance that endures. That's what truly saves. True belief and true repentance. Will it be accompanied by baptism? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you come to me and you confess Christ and you say, I have turned my life over to the Lord and and I want to follow Christ all my days, the first thing I'm going to say is, let's dunk you in the water. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out to the creek and I'm going to throw you underwater because the creek's more holy. You know it is. All right. It's the little Jordan over here. We're just going to dunk you under. I'm going to hold you under for five minutes just to make sure it takes. I'm going to pull you back out. Okay. We'll have a resurrection right there. I love baptism. I love the sinner's prayer. But they do not save you. Your good works, no matter how many you have accomplished in your life, do not save you. John is writing these things as we close so that our joy may be complete. And I am preaching these things not to cause you pain, but so that you might find true joy and true assurance. And again, the only thing worse than not having assurance, the only thing worse than not having assurance in your salvation is having false assurance. How many people will stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do mighty works in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. They were assured of their salvation, but they were resting not in the finished work of Christ. They were resting in how many good works they could do. This may sound morbid, but there are few things that bring me more contentment than preaching a funeral of a committed believer. I mean that. I mean that. And that doesn't mean that I'm not in pain, and that doesn't mean that I'm not sad. It means that I can preach with full confidence that the one who lies before me is with Christ. There is immense joy mixed with severe pain. Pain for my loss, but joy for their gain. I think that was an appropriate moment for that music right there. Don't you worry about that. That sounded good. In fact, I'm going to say it again just because I feel like she was helping me make my point. 
There is joy mixed with pain when we bury a believer. You know that. Some of you all have been there while I've preached the funeral of your loved ones. And I am so ecstatic while being in pain and sad for the loss that I can say that these individuals are with Christ, not in the future, but now. They are with Jesus now because they had committed their lives to Jesus. Not just a portion of their lives, but all of it. What I dread more than anything is preaching the funeral for an individual who was not a believer or who I cannot begin to demonstrate any confidence in their faith. Yet at the same time, their family wants to comfort me, wants, wants me to comfort them. They might want to comfort me too because I'm in dread. All right? But it's just true. They want to be comforted because their unbelieving loved one has died. What comfort can I give them? Here's the only comfort that I can give them. The only comfort that I can give them is because of Christ that you do not have to suffer the same fate. Because I am not going to preach somebody into heaven when they're lying in a casket in front of me. I'm not going to do it because I can't. But I'm still going to preach the gospel so that the loved ones might not fall to the same fate. That if they would believe, repent and believe in the gospel, that they nor their families would have to face the dread that lies ahead. But instead, they can count it as joy that the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday can be applied to us as well. Because we say this every Easter Sunday. We say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? For those of us who die in Christ, there will be a time when that very same thing will be able to be said for us. He or she is risen. Risen indeed. But make no mistake, those who are not in Christ will also rise, but not to eternal salvation, but to eternal condemnation. There is no time to tarry. My point in preaching this morning is to cause you, if not to force you, to come face to face with your own salvation. Can you sit here today and say, yes, I am saved? Without leaning on a prayer, a baptism, good works. Can you say that this morning? Or is the finished work of Christ enough? Are you saved this morning? Let me ask this to the younger folks. If you're raising small children, are we teaching our children good morals and good behavior without teaching them about Jesus? Are we just into behavior modification, but not the gospel? Keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. Jesus calls us to repent and believe. Will you? Will you? I 
regularly ask myself, ask myself, Chris, do you really believe? Have you really turned your life over to Christ? And every time, praise God, I have great confidence, as much confidence that Christ rose from the grave, that He also saved me from my sins. That I know where I am headed. I know who I will be spending eternity with. I know that there will be a day where I will be rejoicing in the presence of my Savior. Not because of some prayer, not because of some baptism, not because of good works, but because I have made Christ the Lord of my life. And I know that some of you have as well. But I worry that some of the individuals in our churches have been playing the Christian life for so long that they don't understand what it means to really live for Christ. If I could grab you and shake the Jesus into you, I would, but it doesn't work that way. I'd just shake you. <laughs> I just would, but I can't. Search yourself. Search God's Word. Now, over the next few weeks, we are going to be investing a great amount of time in this letter because he is going to give three tests, three tests for whether or not you are actually a believer. One is the doctrinal test. Do you believe what he says about himself? Second, the moral, the moral test. There is a moral test. It's not that good works don't matter. They matter. They just don't save. And then thirdly, there's the test of love. And folks, that third one is where many of us fall short, myself included. So we're going to be walking through that. And so I hope, I pray that I see most, if not all of you here in the following weeks so we can walk through this. And let me just tell you this. I know that we're going a little bit long. I get that, but just hang with me, okay? You might think to yourself that I have that, number one, that I'm not sure of my salvation. I'm not sure of my salvation. Or I'm not saved. I, I know that. I'm not saved. But you have been playing the role of Christian for so long that you feel embarrassed or ashamed about saying it. And here's what I want to say. First of all, if a church would shame you for coming forth or make you embarrassed for coming forth and admitting that you were not saved but that you want to follow Christ, then that church is not really a church. It's a social club. This is not a social club. This is a family. Do not be afraid. But second of all, is shame and embarrassment worth eternal condemnation? So when we close, we're going we're gonna to sing a song, a brief song. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning for the first time in several months. And then we're going to close, and then you all can go eat your ham and fried chicken if you can find it. But if you, if you are not sure of whether you are saved or not, or if you want to talk about church membership, or if you want to talk about being involved in the life of Christ, then 
come talk to me. Christy's right here. You can come talk to Christy. You can come talk to me. Debbie and Toy are going to be coming in. You can come talk to Melvin. You can come talk to Paul and Peggy. There are people that you can talk to. And we will walk you through it, what it looks like. But I am pleading with you, make sure of your salvation. And this is not unknown to Scripture. Paul and Peter and all of them tell us to do that too. He is risen, risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we ask your blessings as we close, Lord. Please be with us and be with every individual here. And Father, I pray, I pray that the people here or people listening to the podcast would hear the gospel and that they would believe that they would trust Christ and believe, turning their life over to Jesus and committing their whole selves to Him. Let us not leave this place without people coming to an assurance of their salvation. Lord, we love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.